0: Powered Innovation Tuskegee, Alabama Not the world's most attractive farming country Certainly not in the view of a young man looking out of the window on a train journey south As he says My train left the golden wheat fields and the tall green corn of Iowa for the acres of cotton Nothing but cotton The scraggly cotton grew close up to the cabin doors A few lonesome collards, the only sign of vegetables. Stunted cattle, bony mules, fields and hillsides cracked and scarred with gullies and deep ruts. Not much evidence of scientific farming anywhere. Everything looked hungry. The land, the cotton, the cattle and the people. Now the young man in question was George Washington Carver. And he was about to change all that. Farming innovation is tricky. We've been working the lands for millennia, gradually learning how to do it better, improving yields, reducing waste, choosing crop varieties, doing what we do better. But there's a paradox built into agriculture as a system. It's got a lot about it, which makes it anti-innovation. Specifically, it's about risk. If you mess around with something and the crops fail, you have a lot of hungry people to answer to. So, progress tends to be slow, incremental, walking a tightrope between innovation and reliability. But alongside the age-old traditions of farming lies the world of scientific research, digging away at the underlying architecture of why things happen and how we might exert some control over that. And fields like botany and crop science have a lot to teach farmers. If only they'd listen. There's no shortage of potentially useful knowledge. The challenge is how to take proven science out of the laboratory and into the day-to-day harsh world of practicing farmers, how to inform them, how to persuade them to adopt new equipment, methods, crop strains, fertilizers, all sorts of other innovations. It's a worthy challenge. The impact of improved farming is felt by everyone. Food stability means other parts of society can develop. Not for nothing do many historians link this shift to the key emergence of civilized society. But back in 1896, one of the people picking up the gauntlet was our young man on his train journey. George Carver was headed for the Tuskegee Institute, Which he was to lead for the next 47 years, leaving behind him a legacy of innovation, not only in the lives of farmers, but also in the working methods of scientific institutions. We talk a lot about university industry links these days. He was one of the pioneers. And his work had long lasting impact. When he heard of his death in 1943, President Franklin Roosevelt commented that the world of science has lost one of its most eminent figures, and there are statues of Washington Carver all around the United States. His is an amazing story. Born in Missouri into slavery in the 1860s, slaves didn't have birth records, so he never even knew himself the exact date. He was stolen in a raid when he was only a week old. His owner... Moses Carver, organised a search and eventually the boy and his mother and sister were found and their release negotiated. The legend has it that he was the boy who was traded for a horse. Fortunately, slavery was abolished soon after that with the ending of the Civil War and Carver adopted the boy and his wife Susan taught him to read and write. In his early 20s, he moved to Kansas having tried unsuccessfully due to his race, to enrol in college. Instead, he homesteaded a claim to a small plot of land near Beela, where he manually ploughed 17 acres, planting rice, corn and vegetables, as well as trees and flowers, supplementing his income by working as a ranch hand. All of this gave him not only valuable first-hand experience of agriculture, but also, finally, the wherewithal to study. But his first love was art and he studied at a local art college it was there that one of his teachers noticed his fascination with drawing plants and persuaded him to explore them further so he eventually enrolled at iowa state agriculture college now iowa state university where he studied botany becoming in the process the school's first african-american student and later its first black faculty member After several years teaching and researching, he was invited to join the Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University, and head up its agriculture department, hence the train journey. But he soon realized that the challenge in such an institute is twofold. On the one hand, there's the need to research into crops and methods, And here his innovations included crop rotation crop selection and particularly working on alternative cash crops to help reduce dependence on cotton but on the other hand for such an institute there's an urgent need to take the message out diffusion of innovation to scale depends on communication and here he didn't find instant success there was an important learning curve to climb for example He wrote pamphlets urging farmers to buy a second horse so that they could run a more efficient two-horse plough which could till the soil to greater depth, and other pamphlets which promoted the use of fertilisers. But gradually, he came to realise that the poor sharecropping farmers in his constituency had heard the information about fertiliser, but couldn't raise enough money to buy any, let alone have cash to spare for a second horse. In any case, the nature of the sharecropping system, in which landowners allowed farmers to work land in return for a share of the proceeds of crops which were sold, meant that their whole existence was often precarious. Why bother to improve soil when you might be kicked off the land at any moment? So he began to shape his message differently. At its heart was the principle that every operation had to be within the reach of a poor tenant farmer with a one-horse equipment. But he also stressed that farmers could work with the land and use its resources to help make themselves self-sufficient, for example, by using their own compost instead of buying fertilizer. And he innovated in the ways in which he took his message out. One of his early ideas was the Jessup Wagon, named after the philanthropist who provided the funding for the programme. And this was a mobile classroom, which took the lessons out to farmers. It enabled him and his team to reach over 2,000 people every month during its first year of operation. And he began writing short, simple information sheets, Carver bulletins, which contained key messages. He made sure the word was spread, using many of the principles which are today so familiar, like the role of key influencers in the social system, the ones to whom others look for recommendations or whose behaviour they tend to follow. He also understood the power of the demonstration effect. Seeing is believing as a powerful motivator for adoption he worked a half-acre plot to show how the yield of sweet potatoes could grow in a few years from 40 bushels to 266 bushels. And on another plot, which had been used for cotton, and as a result from which the nutrients had been exhausted, he showed how rotation planting of nitrogen-fixing legumes like peas and beans could increase yields of cotton a few years later. He was also a convert to the idea of chemergy, using science, especially chemistry, to help find non-food uses for crops, which would raise added value. But in doing so, he also understood the need for thinking in wider systems terms, building a viable business model for the whole. Henry Ford, another notable systems thinker, was an early and enthusiastic supporter. But Carver's name will be forever associated with peanuts. Not a bad memorial to his work, though he did look at many other crops as well. But Carver encouraged farmers to grow peanuts because they offered several advantages to his target group. They can be grown alongside cotton because they have a different growth cycle. And they're a rich source of nitrogen because of a bacterial symbiosis which they've evolved. The result is they put nutrients back into the soil. They're also an excellent food source, which helps keep the farmers nourished and healthy. Calva risked becoming the victim of his own success and soon had to turn his attention to what farmers might do with the peanuts that they were growing in ever increasing numbers. His famous pamphlet on uses for peanuts included various recipes for edible items, including coffee, ice cream and bread, oil-based paints and lubricants, shampoos and cosmetics, even something called peanut nitroglycerin. Travel today to Diamond Grove, Missouri, and you'll find a small park containing a monument to Carver. His contribution is taught in schools across the country, and he undoubtedly serves as a wonderful role model for what can be achieved regardless of race or origin. But in innovation, he's left a different kind of monument, an example of how ideas can create value, but only if we also pay attention to the ways in which they're communicated and diffused to scale. So if we were erecting a display board in this monument, it might list his innovation achievements, including product innovations like improved crop strains and major new uses for crops especially peanuts to help open up new markets and to counter dependence on single vulnerable crops like cotton process innovations contributing to improved practices around crop rotation and field management increasing yields through the application of insights from chemistry developing downstream processes to enable those new uses for crops Position innovation, taking his message out of the laboratory and into the world of the small farmer, innovating in the methods through which he not only broadcast his message, but also persuaded reluctant adopters to experiment, enabling diffusion of his new ideas to scale. And paradigm innovation. Changing the way of thinking about agriculture from backbreakingly labour intensive to building on a rich scientific base. And thinking about ecosystems, business models, long before the vocabulary was there, seeing that opening up new markets for crops like peanuts is going to require complementary assets and extensive partnerships across a value creating network. Along the way, he can also take credit for pioneering work and importantly, practical demonstrations around sustainable living, working with the planet rather than exploiting it. Not a bad legacy for a boy who began life without even a name.